Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In 49 other states, football is just a game. But this is Wisconsin. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. Wisconsin fans demand the best, the best analysis, the best interviews, the best coverage, and no one delivers like the Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. And good evening. It is the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. I'm Radio Joe Zenzola. Thanks for joining me tonight. And we will get to our guests for this evening, which include Marcus Eversall of The Fan in Green Bay and also Eric Branchek of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. But there is breaking news, and it's always good to start off the show with breaking news. Uh, all breaking news here brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Vans. You can find out how an extra mile really goes. Uh, Kyle Cousineau, who um, is very connected with um, a lot of the people who work at Green Bay, in Green Bay, and he's been breaking NFL schedules in the past and whatnot. Um, Kyle is saying on Twitter that, according to a source that he has, uh, the plan is for 6,000 ticketed fans plus frontline workers to be at the divisional round game at Lambeau Field next weekend. Tickets will go on sale to season ticket holders who opted in prior to the season on Tuesday. The plan right now is for 8,000-ish fans. That is according to Kyle Cousineau, and I'm sure there will be more people that will be able to confirm that as we go along. But Kyle has broken a lot of stuff over the years, so... I will report that here on the network. Joining me now is the two guests for this evening on the panel for the huddle, and one is Marcus Eversall. And Marcus, I think it is pretty cool that we will get to see more fans at Lambeau Field next week for that divisional game, if this is indeed true. No doubt about it, Joe. Thank you for having me, first of all. And yeah, I'm sure there will be those who will confirm that report by Kyle Cousineau. Frankly, I don't need the confirmation because Kyle Cousineau is spot on. You're absolutely right. He is very well plugged in to all the local businesses and everything. And they've been playing it safe with COVID, obviously taking it slow, but this is certainly good news. It certainly is. And also joining us again on the panel tonight is Eric Baranchik of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Hello, Eric. And I'm sure you're very happy that there'll be some more fans that are going to be able to infiltrate Lambeau Field coming up. Oh, I think it's fantastic. I, I, and 
I'll tell you this, going through the stadium, because when you walk up and get into the press box, you got to walk above, above the concourse. And one of the things that you miss is the sound of the people of, of laughing and screaming and hollering. And very close second is the smell of brats and beer and everything else. And to have that back, even for even if there's only 8,000, I can't imagine how electric that's going to be for the players. And, and it adds a little bit to the home field advantage of having to come up to Lambeau. I, I think it's fantastic. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And something we'll touch on later on is indeed that whole notion of home field advantage this year. Because, yes, the Green Bay Packers are going to be at Lambeau Field from here on out, assuming everything goes well and they win the divisional game and they get another one at Lambeau. But that impact to the fans that that should make a that's going to make a difference and the fact you'll have some fans there should also help but we'll talk more about that coming up a little bit later in the show so a lot to get to let's start though guys with uh, this game against the Chicago Bears that the Packers got the win in were able to clinch the number 1 seed and Marcus I'll start with you for you what was probably the biggest thing that impressed you the most in that win against the Bears last week what impressed me the most was that i think the bears all things considered, I think the Bears executed their game plan exactly how they wanted to, meaning they had the football for 10 more minutes than the Packers. They ran 30 more plays from scrimmage than the Packers, and yet the Packers won the game by 19 points. I mean, that's got to be crushing if you're the Bears, and it's encouraging for the Packers because the whole notion, whenever the Packers go into a game, the other team has to aim, you know, keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. That's their goal. Play ball control offense, milk the clock, convert first downs. We saw how many fourth down conversions for Chicago. They did what they wanted to do. They had the ball for the majority of the game. They were in control. And by the end of it, the Packers won by 19 points. So when that's happening, good luck. Eric, what say you? What was the biggest thing that impressed you in that win against Chicago? Well, I, I honestly – you know, after the Titans game, you know, I really needed them to prove to me that they could stop the run better than they have all season long. And and, and they've gotten better at it, but David Montgomery down there with the Bears was for the, the five weeks prior to the to last Sunday was on fire. He scored six touchdowns, averaging a buck five a game, um, six point five yards on the ground. I, I needed to, that was a prove it game for me because okay you got him at Lambo on a on a snowy turf that probably helped the Packers defense a little bit so I needed them to prove it to me that they were going to be able to stop the run and they they did and they did it in, in a fashion without having to do a lot of gimmicky things to do it they had their same typical um, umbrella over the top nothing gets by them deep and they played. Um, really good on the line of scrimmage. And, and you can point all your fingers at one guy, one guy only, and that's Kevin, and that's uh, Kenny Clark. I mean, he finally must be feeling good because his play over the last three games has been tremendous, and it showed. And you saw the one, a couple of mo- I mean, uh, snacks. Harrison only played a couple of uh, uh, downs, and, and, which is understandable. But his presence was made known, and he, he stopped some plays – uh, that don't show up on the st- stat sheet, but but redirected the running back in the backfield and made things happen. And other guys got the tackles, but you know the 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 play of the of the able to take control of the line of scrimmage to me uh, pointed to the, that they're heading in the right direction and they're they're really really 
um, going to be good in the playoffs. Eric, I'll stick with you on Snacks Harrison because I think that's going to be the biggest question, depending on how far the Packers go in this, is how will they utilize Snacks? I mean, from what I was reading early on, it sounded like it was going to be more of a rotational thing, that he was just going to come in for Kenny Clark, let Kenny Clark take a breather um, in certain situations. But could we see a situation or even more packages where it's Snacks and Kenny Clark right up front on that line together? You could see that when they're in a uh, their base front or their or their heavy nickel, where they have uh, three down linemen and one one linebacker. Um, but I think what it does is it bolsters that rotation of you know because you got Lancaster, Lowry, and um, hopefully they have uh, Kiki out of the uh, concussion protocol. Right, Kenny Clark and Snacks. You got a rotation there that can keep guys fresh and and and. Where that, I've, as we all know, where that really helps is in the fourth quarter when you got fresh D linemen that are angry and that are getting off the football and against an offensive line that's starting to get tired. Uh, so that's important. And, and that's where I see the biggest impact is going to be when they rotate in and they do the rotation that they're still going to have someone up there on first and second down that can take a, a, a lineman and jam them in the backfield and that's what they need because because they're missing some of that. Kenny Clark is back doing it now. Kiki has improved tremendously. Lancaster is, and, and Lowry are solid, and they don't make a lot of mistakes. But what they don't possess is that little fast twitch to be able to get off that block uh, like Kiki has, like Kenny Clark has. And uh, whether Snacks has it, it, it can demonstrate that he can do it consistently i don't care because when you take up a take an offensive guard time up in a pretzel and throw him two yards deep great that's all you want because right. now linebackers are free and they're going to be able to fill well and is that kind of how you see it marcus and how snacks could be utilized here or are there certain things that you would like to see the packers use damon snacks harrison in a specific way and i'll also add to it i mean really kingsley kiki we have seen improvement this year and hopefully he he will be ready to go next week um, the coaches were raving about Kiki before the season started that you are going to see some some new things from this kid as he continues to develop. So how do you look at this whole situation with the defensive line? Well, I think the whole situation is incredibly exciting right now. I mean, I, it goes without saying that this is when you want to be playing your best football. And obviously with teams running the football more in the winter months with the weather getting worse you want your run defense to be in order and I think that's been maybe the most glaring question mark all season and going back for the last month plus of the season the Packers have passed every test that's come their way I know Derrick Henry put up almost 100 yards but still I mean Derrick Henry is like I'll use the analogy he's like James Harden in the NBA where James Harden's going to score points like he scores so much Derrick Henry gets so many touches he's going to rack up yards but to hold him to 93 or whatever they did, that was an incredible feat for this defense. And now adding Snacks Harrison, like I don't want to overstate it. Obviously, Damon Snacks Harrison has always been more of a rotational player because he's a big dude. He's not going to play every snap. Kenny Clark doesn't play every snap, and Harrison certainly won't play as many snaps as Kenny Clark does. But I, I don't want to overstate it. I cannot imagine – a better late season addition for this Packers team specifically with the run defense being their kind of kryptonite, or at least their big question mark all year long. I can't think of a better late season addition than snacks Harrison. I really can't because he comes in here and yeah, there are some differences with terminology and scheme, but when you're a 32 year old veteran, you've been here and there, you've seen it all at this level. 
like he said today in his conference call with reporters, he's like, at the end of the day, run defense is run defense. And I'm sorry, but when you step on the scale and it says 350, and those are the three digits looking back at you, you are there to eat up space, take linemen back into the backfield, run them right into the running back and stuff the run. That is his role. He knows what he's here for. And I think he's going to come to play big time. I mean, he played 12 snaps against the Bears. I don't think he showed up in the box score, but you noticed him on a handful of plays where he's playing into the Bears' backfield. I think the refs could have probably thrown a couple flags for holding on on Snacks Harrison because he's just a space eater and he has a habit of making – making hay in the opposing backfield. So I think it's a great addition, and I think we're definitely going to be happy that the Packers made that move. Well, it's certainly refreshing to me to see the Packers bring in guys with experience, veterans, not guys that you have to kind of roll the dice on, shot in the dark, you know, undrafted guy or a guy who really hasn't had much action, you know, getting real game reps, consistent reps in the NFL. So to get a veteran like Snacks Harrison, I will be very curious to see how they use him going forward here. And hopefully it's more than just one game. He's Marcus Eversall from the fan up in Green Bay. Eric Baranchek, the Green Bay Press-Gazette alongside. I'm Radio Joe Zenzola. We will have more of the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. And on the other side, we're going to continue on with this defense, and we're going to talk about Mike Pettin and whether or not Mike Pettin is off the hot seat. That is coming up next here on the huddle. You know, and the, and the cliche that we, we use around here, but I mean, it's it's um, you know, confidence through preparation. You know, it's hard to walk into walk into a stadium and be ready to play and be confident if you if you don't quite know. You know, you don't quite have a, the feel that you should. But if you're locked in and 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 know a lot of what the opponent's going to do before they do it, and and of course you're you're going to have a little swag to you. That is the defensive coordinator of your Green Bay Packers, Mike Pettin, talking about the defense and how they've done a better job preparing as of late. The huddle presented by and served up by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good, continues. I'm Radio Joe alongside Marcus Eversall from The Fan up in Green Bay, WDUZ, and also from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Eric Baranchek. Now, we're going to continue on here with Pettin in just a second, but just as we're going along here, we have more breaking news. And again, all breaking news here on The Huddle is presented by Mercedes-Benz vans. You can find out how an extra mile really goes. Uh, Ian Rappaport is saying, get a load of this, guys. Ian Rappaport is reporting that Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans is extremely unhappy with the organization after the owner, Cal McNair, informed him that he would be involved in the GM and coach hiring process and provide feedback. But here's the catch. After that was said... Neither of which happen in the hire of GM Nick Cesario. So Deshaun Watson was promised he was going to have a say in this hire, and then they never asked for his opinion on it. Um, This does not look good, Marcus. And honestly, you know teams are going to start calling the Texans here in regards to bringing Deshaun Watson on their team. You know this is going to happen now. There's no doubt about it, and I'll just say the homer in me would just have one request. Just keep him the heck away from Chicago. They (laughs) passed on him in the draft. They do not deserve a mulligan on this one. Send him anywhere but Chicago, and I'm cool with it. First of all, 
I'm not entirely surprised because the Texans are one of those franchises that just seem to get in their own way over the course of time. Like off the top, I wouldn't have even gotten told Deshaun that he would be involved in the whole process. It's not part of his job, but second of all, like I just, it doesn't, it's not a good look for them. Don't, don't tell them that from the beginning. And I don't know this. It seems like this is going to, this is going to be one of the top storylines of the offseason. He's legitimately one of the best five quarterbacks in the league. And that's, that is your franchise. They don't, they gave up the, they had the third overall pick. They give that to Miami from back in the Tunsil trade. It's not exactly a franchise in a good cap situation right now. And now your franchise quarterback's not happy. Other than that, though, things are going extremely smooth in Houston. You know, you think Bill O'Brien, you, you get rid of that cancer and you just move on and it just gets worse down there. It's unbelievable. Eric, could you imagine a situation where Deshaun Watson is suiting up for the Chicago Bears? <laughs> Eric, I think you got to turn your mic on, my friend. Sorry, I was muted there. I was opening up a Bud Light seltzer. Look at you. Look to. at you. So hey, uh, hey, no, really, bring it on. I, I don't I don't care who's a quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I, I, I think that they um, have a tendency to completely and utterly uh, have it run down the back of their leg constantly. I mean, they had Jake Cutler who was uh, a heck of a quarterback and they it ran down the back of their leg there. Uh, bring it on. I think that's fine. I think it would be it would make the uh, Packer Bear game a lot more fun to cover because it's gonna you know it's not just gonna be a lopsided win for Green Bay. So yeah, I th- for for as a fan, I'd say do it. Well, I don't want to see that happen. But when we talk about the rivalry between the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers against Deshaun Watson, woohoo! Yeah, get your get your popcorn ready. So like we'll, we'll continue to monitor this. And like Marcus said. That is going to be the biggest story of the offseason as to how the Texans go about this going forward. But that is a terrible look down there in Houston. All right. We will continue on here. We want to get back to Mike Pettin because uh, something when I was filling in earlier in the week kind of raised it to Packer fans. And there were some people still with some mixed thoughts about Mike Pettin, the defensive coordinator. And I'll say this, guys, like I think Mike Pettin has done a better job as of late when it comes to having the right game plan against certain teams here the last several weeks. Marcus, I'll start with you. Do you feel better about Mike Pettin right now? And do you feel like it's fair to say that he should be taken off the hot seat here because it looks like he's got something now with this defense? Well, I'll say this. I I think we kind of have to defer until we see what kind of run they go on here in the playoffs or don't go on in the playoffs because a year ago at this time, I mean, the Packers defense, essentially, it was the backbone of the team last year. The defense was consistent throughout. They had a great pass rush and the offense was inconsistent. And then it took one game in the postseason 37 20 and about a bazillion yards from Raheem Mostert. And suddenly we're talking about whether or not Mike Pettin should even be back. And I think that conversation was on point. I think that had to be had because it was just so incredibly bad. They were so outmatched in that game. Now around mid season, I thought Mike Pettin, <laughs> the arrow was pointing down. I thought he might be on his way out, but he has definitely, his defense has played Petten back into favor as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you look at what they've done their last five games, let's say, 
They've held their opponent to 16 points or less in four of the five games. I mean, you can't argue with results, right? And at this point, you go into a game expecting them to run the football, and you think that, by golly, there's a legitimate chance the Packers can actually stop him. So at this point, as I sit here today, I'd say I would expect him to be back. I don't think his his seat is hot. It might be a little toasty. I don't think he can afford another debacle like last year against the Niners in the playoffs or anything like that. But yeah, he's, he's definitely, he's a little more comfortable on his seat than he was, let's say a month and a half ago. Eric, I'll, I'll phrase it to you this way, because I know you've really liked what you've seen lately schematically from this Packers defense and what Mike Pettin has been able to put out there. You know, we go back a few weeks when Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Kenny Clark, they all went up to Petten's office and they had a little chat with them and they said, Coach, we need to try and simplify things a little bit. We want to be able to get after the quarterback a little bit more. It's what we do. Do you kind of look at that as maybe a turning point for this defense or were you seeing some things on film even before that that was kind of showing you that, you know what, actually it's not as bad as we think. Maybe we shouldn't overreact as much. Oh, that's a good question. Um, he, I, I think it had absolutely little to do with going up to the coach's office and and pleading your case, as it has to do with the injury to Raven Green. What happened then is is you know Raven Green was playing in the you know at linebacker depth uh, in their nickel and dime packages, primarily in their dime packages, or if they went with a heavy nickel with one linebacker. And they when he went down, they brought in they brought Amos down. And it changed everything because you now have an athletic guy uh, and primarily on first and second downs on third downs. They like to creep him back to the back end of the defense. But I think at on first and second downs against the pass, you saw he is, he is the, you know, what was happening beginning part of the season. Like it seems like always happened to the Packers was the tight ends running backs, just killing you in the pass game and, and the low underneath the low hole was very weak uh, as well as hook curl zones were weak. But with Amos, you get a you get a solid tackler. You get a guy that's making plays on, in the middle part of the defense uh, on the football, and not just like getting there and tackling, but knocking the ball away. So it, I, that was really good. And what that did is, is it freed up twenty six, uh, you know, Savage to be able to to do some different things in the passing game too on first and second down. Um, they kind of re, to uh, to switch that spot on third down. And not then you see Savage, you know, Savage making some of those plays, not only in the run game, but also coming up in the pass game, too. So those are that's that was a big thing that I think changed and it really has, has solidified some of the things that happened uh, on first and second down. Um, and then the other thing that I, I you know, having and everyone's going to laugh at me at this point, but having Kevin King back has made things a lot differently because. He's a son of a gun on the perimeter. He is, a, you know, yes, he flops sometimes and throws his shoulder into it and doesn't wrap up all the time. But when they have him playing five, seven yards off the ball and they throw that little flare out to the wide receiver, he tackles them. And he, it's not, it's rare that, you know, it happens, but it's rare that that play doesn't, that, that play goes off and he's right there. They don't throw to Alexander because it's a, that's a mistake, but throwing they you know, teams are picking on, on trying to on King and he's coming up and tackling and, you know, his style isn't always great, but he's sticking his nose in there. So those are the things that um, 
other than just the D line taking it to to the offensive line that has made the difference in this defense. Well, let's talk about Kevin King for a minute because you know he's the one guy I've been watching a lot, and you're right about when he's he's hitting guys and tackling guys like there I, there is no debate there. But it's in coverage. He's always it's like it's all season. He's been just a step slow. And it turns out that just a couple of weeks ago, his DB coach came out and said, oh, yeah, by the way, Kevin King had surgery this offseason, and that was the first time anyone in the Packer media heard that. Like It was like, whoa, that we didn't know that. So it sounds like he's been trying to just deal with that and trying to stay healthy. Marcus, where do you stand with the future of Kevin King? Because I think the Packers, you know, we all, we always talk about Aaron Jones and paying him and Corey Lindsley paying him. Kevin King is up for a contract. The question is, I don't really see the Packers trying to bring him back, number one, because he can't stay 100% healthy, and number two, even if they offer him something, I got to imagine there's a team out there that's going to offer a little bit more. Like, I just don't see Kevin King coming back next year for the Pack. Well, right now, I think there's a lot of questions with the cap, not only with the Packers, obviously, but with COVID-19 and the cap going down as a whole. You look at where the Packers are at with their key free agents. Good thing they've already got Bakhtiari and Kenny Clark locked up because those two guys were also impending free agents, of course. But as you look at it, I mean, they're not in an ideal situation right now. If they're going to bring any of these key guys back, whether it be Kevin King or Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley, it's probably going to come at the cost of some other players who are under contract and looking at guys like Preston Smith as possibly being cap casualties. I'll say this. I mean, I think everybody would agree. Aaron Jones is a better football player than Kevin King. Aaron Jones is a better running back than Kevin King is a cornerback. But when you get down to these salary cap decisions and whether to keep guys or cut guys, you have to weigh the positional value. And in today's NFL, as special as Aaron Jones is, and he is, he is special, absolutely. The cornerback position is more valuable and less replaceable than the running back position, especially when you factor in that they just spent a second round pick on a guy like AJ Dillon. So it's a, I wish I could give you an answer right now to say, oh yeah, Kevin King will be back or no, he won't. I think I would lean towards him maybe being not back, but I'm still very much in the middle because of that positional value. And it's, it's nice to have a guy that you like playing opposite Jair Alexander because that guy completely erases half of the field. He's the definition of a shutdown corner. That said, even as I'm talking through it, Jair Alexander, while he's not a free agent this coming offseason, he will be before long. I mean, they can pick up his fifth-year op One more year next year will be his fourth season. Then they can pick up his fifth-year option. You, he is so good that you already have to start thinking about paying that guy And then it comes down to, well, how much money do you want to put into the cornerback position from top to bottom as a whole when you factor in Jair and Kevin King? So these are all decisions that, you know, sometimes it'd be cool to be Brian Gudekins for Russ Ball and manage the cap. Other times it's like, yeah, I'm glad that's not my responsibility. At least he gets paid the big bucks. Like he he gets something pretty significant out of this, but he is going to have his hands full. No question about it. That's Marcus Eversall from 107.5 FM and 1400 AM. The fan up in Green Bay, our fine affiliate. Also alongside is Eric Baranchek of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. We'll talk a little bit more about the defense coming up. We also want to kind of settle a debate that I don't even know if it is a debate. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP, right? 
Like, there's no debate here. We'll talk about all of that coming up straight ahead. It's the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. I'm Radio Joe. We will have more right after this. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Trubisky loads up and intercepted by Amos. Adrian Amos looking for blocks. Has a couple inside the 30 and the big interception haunting Trubisky. He's been so good today, but ill-advised that time and the Packers take over. You know, it, it was kind of weird. Um, it just felt like they had the ball for you know a very long time. You know, they was converting them third and shorts, fourth and, um, fourth and shorts, um, things like that. So, you know, if it, it's one thing that when we look on the film that we, we want to clean up is it, those um, letting them get to them short yard situations where um, we don't want to put ourselves in them situations to be in third and third and one, fourth and one. Let's let's get our, our work done more in the um, early downs. Yo, Adrian, that is Adrian Amos of your Green Bay Packers, who has really turned it on. And I have been, I, I've gone on a rampage on Twitter. You, By the way, you can follow me. I'm at Radio Joe Sports as we continue on here on the huddle, served up by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. Marcus Eversall from the fan up in Green Bay. You can follow him on Twitter at Marcus Eversall and Eric Baranchek of the Green Bay Press-Gazette at Eric Baranchek1. If you have issues with spelling, just call us at 855-830-8648 and we'll, we'll help you through the spelling. But you can find these guys on Twitter. All great follows. I have been saying for a while now that the Chicago media – needs to shut up like they remember this whole debate about who had the better safety when the bears and the Packers flip we had Adrian Amos and haha Clinton Dix haha Clinton Dix doesn't even play for the bears does is he on a team right now did he get cut again I don't even know where he is these days like it's so obvious the Packers won that one between those two guys and really Marcus Adrian Amos he has been playing better as of late there's no doubt about it. I mean, I remember after the Packers signed Amos and the Bears signed Clinton Dix and some member of the Bears staff on the personnel department said that basically they got the better safety. They think they have the better player, the better value, whatever his phrasing was. And I remember asking Adrian Amos about it. One of those times when you know exactly what, like, you know that Adrian Amos saw that, but you just pretend like you don't know so I went up and I asked him like, yeah, did you see this? And he's like, yeah. And the, the use, the word that he used was corny. Like <laughs> it's just corny. Why would the bear, why a team that you've given everything to for four years, why he would say that when you're on the way out the door, the fact of the matter is it was never a debate. I mean, for crying out loud, do you think the Packers are bidding against themselves? Like they just decided we'll give them a four year deal deal worth 30 some million dollars just because no, the market is set by everyone around the league Adrian Amos was worth the money. Ha ha Clinton Dix was worth a one year prove it deal in Chicago. And as you say, he's not even there anymore. He's currently a free agent. So there was never a debate who was better, but I also remember bear fans, a lot of people in my mentions and a lot of people on my Twitter feed saying some things along the lines of you're overpaying for Amos. He's just good. He's just consistent. He's just a solid safety to which at the time, I think Packer fans collectively say, Okay, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it all day. Yeah, like have you seen who has played safety for the Packers since the days of Nick Collins? Like uh, spare me MD Jennings and Jerron McMillan. We'll take solid. We'll take consistent. And since he's been a Packer, 
He's been a lot more than that. Amongst the best safeties in the league, according to Pro Football Focus, he is solid, he is consistent, but he's been more than that. He's a really good, if not great, player. Eric, what's the biggest thing that has stood out on tape when it comes to Adrian Amos and and what he's been able to do here really in the second half of this football season? Well, they they moved him around um, and have him playing closer to the line of scrimmage on first and second down and utilizing his athleticism to um, uh, get in the face of of tight ends and um, crossers, wide receiver crossers, because that's been a bugaboo for the Packers for a while. Uh, You know, that open crosser right across the middle of the field. I think he's brought um, a level of awareness to that position and that part of the field that is really important. Um, And then the other thing, too, is, you know, it's a little bit surprising to me is he comes up and tackles. And uh, that is that has been very, very evident and very important for that defense to have him fill the alley. Well, when it comes to most improved players, we are seeing so many improved players on this defense. So here's my little quiz question to both of you. And Eric, I'll start with you. Who do you think this season has been the most improved player on this Packers defense? Darnell Savage. Without a doubt. And why? Well, I like the way that he is playing the football in the air now. Um, and they're not asking him uh, on many, at least in very evident passing downs, to be the single high safety and having to uh, make a decision if they run two verticals. So that I really like and in the fact that he's able to um, – on third downs, play in the low hole or playing into the flat and making some plays there, um, you know, her curl zone, uh, or when they're in cover four to be able to come in and make those plays around the hash. Uh, really like that out, out of him. And they're utilizing some of his skills. And, and really, quite frankly, he's, he, uh, he has stepped up his ball awareness more, more importantly than anything else. As for you, Marcus, where do you stand most improved Packer on the defense this season? Well, it's funny, Eric went with Darnell Savage because that's absolutely on point, and I would have gone that route, but we actually talked about this the other day, this very topic on the air, and I I had two answers ready, ironically, from the very same draft class and the very same round of the draft class, and I'm talking about the 2019 first-round picks, whether it's Savage or Rashawn Gary. So because Eric just laid it out there for Savage, I'll make the argument for Rashawn Gary. When you look specifically at the second half of the season – he tied Zadarius Smith for the most pressures on the team. And that is a far cry from what he showed as a rookie. I think a lot of times when you're a top draft pick, there's not a lot of patience when it comes to production on the field. So it's going to be interesting to see how this goes with Jordan Love the next few years, but I don't need to open up that can of worms. But as far nah. as Rashawn Gary, <laughs> he didn't do a, he didn't do much of anything last year as a rookie this year you could see right away i mean the physical tools are undeniable right the guy goes six four two seventy he's like four five speed jumps out of the gym he's an athletic freak but never really materialized for him in terms of production at michigan and then declares for the draft he didn't do a whole lot as a rookie for the packers but on a weekly basis now you're just seeing 52 in the opposing backfield more and more he's creating pressure scooped up a fumble in Chicago, thanks to Jair Alexander. I mean, as you look ahead next year, I don't think there's any question right now who the best bookend pass rusher is for Zadarius Smith. I mean, I'm sorry, the the Smith show, the Smith brothers, it's not Preston anymore. It is Rashawn Gary. So I think you, could, you can't go wrong 
I think Brian Gutekunst looks back at that first round from 2019, and he's got to be happy with both of his picks, Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. So for you, Marcus, then you would be good if they just part ways with Preston Smith, eat the dead cap. I think the dead cap's like at $8 million for next year. Um, You would be totally fine with that going forward. I would. Now, like, obviously, if all things were equal and it was just a simple question of would you like to have Preston Smith on your roster? Yeah, I'd like to have Preston Smith on my roster. Sure. But when you look at potentially keeping, you know, guys like Aaron Jones, Kevin King, Corey Lindsley, tough decisions are going to be have to be are going to have to be made with the cap going down. And I think Preston Smith, unfortunately, that name is towards the top of the list as possible cap casualties. Yeah, no question about it. He's Marcus Eversall from 107.5 and 1440 AM FM, The Fan, WDUZ. Eric Branch at Green Bay Press Gazette alongside as well. I'm Radio Joe. It's the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. And on the other side, we will touch on special teams and whether or not we should be concerned going forward here with this group or... Just some simple adjustments we can make. Just some little tweaks. We'll find out coming up next on the other side. It's been a a long grind, and as it is every year, but I think our guys take advantage of these opportunities. You know, we've been able to get our coaches out of the office for dinner every night. You know, it gives you a chance to reconnect with your family and then also catch up on some much-needed sleep. So I feel like our guys were fresh today and ready to go. Yeah, the Packers were back at practice today as they begin their preparations for next week. Matt LaFleur, the head coach there. Welcome back. It's the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. I'm Radio Joe. Alongside my guests on the panel tonight, Marcus Eversall from the fan up in Green Bay, WDUZ, and also from the Green Bay Press-Gazette and PackersNews.com, Eric Baranchek. So, yes, the Packers, you know, keep in mind, too, they haven't had a bye week since early in the season. I mean, going all the way back to what, after the Atlanta game, week five, they had a bye week. So it's been a while, and this is really good to reset everything, your mind, your body, your spirit, everything. But as we look ahead here, one of the other issues has been special teams. And it, it just it feels like it doesn't matter what the year is. Like, if it's Sean Slocum as the special teams coordinator or it's Ron Zook, now it's Sean Menenga. Like, there's always these different problems with special teams. Eric Baranchek, I'll ask you, like, what needs to change here? Is there is there just a couple of simple adjustments where these guys can just hit 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 the returner and be done with it and put them in their place and just make sure that they're not losing field position? That's a really good question. <clears throat> there's a couple things. One, the punter's got to put the ball in the right darn place. Um, a couple of those long... Uh, punt returns were due to the kicker kicking the ball in the middle of the field and the the coverage unit is thinking the ball is going to the numbers so that's a big deal people think people overlook that but when you are you know if your your coverage unit is aiming to the numbers the ball landing between the numbers and the sideline okay it's a pretty narrow piece of real estate and you kick it to the middle of the field to the opposite hash or even the near hash your coverage unit is is has got a gun to their head. There's no possible way that they can they can they're gonna have a good opportunity there. So it starts with the punter punting the ball in the right spot. That's where that starts. 
The kickoff unit is just, you know, that's just mono e mono. You got to get, you got to nut up and get after it. And uh, one of the, you know, so I, I, I is there a couple easy, easy fixes? I, I don't think so. I, I think it's, it's more about, hey, gentlemen, you guys have a, I don't know if I could say this on the air or not, but you have a jock strap on. You guys got to be able to make sure that you earn that jock strap and get down there and rattle some teeth loose. Earning the jock strap. I, I think that's okay. I'll, I'll allow it and we'll, right. we'll see if, it. We'll if see if the boss trouble, just it. let me know. Okay. I'll we'll, we'll, we'll do. I said it too. So it, we're in, we're in this together, my friend, Marcus, are, how concerned are you with what you're seeing with special teams right now for the Packers? Jock strap. Now we've all said it. All right. There we go. I, Three's a crowd. It's a, you're absolutely right. It's a yearly occurrence. I, it's uh, special teams. That, and the thing about it is, too, all that we are asking, all that fans are asking, all that the Packers want from their special teams is to just be decent. Like, give an average special teams unit, and it would feel like a success. I mean, for crying out loud, we're talking about special teams being an issue again, and they have a kicker who didn't miss a field goal all season long. I mean, that's just telling us to how bad the the punter has been. And that's another thing that Eric touched on there is J.K. Scott, when you draft a punter, and obviously he punted the heck out of the ball. I, I don't pretend to be a kicking or punting guru, but I know what it, I know what it's supposed to look like. If the ball's going through the uprights in the field goal game, then good, keep the guy. Mason Crosby couldn't be better. He didn't miss a field goal this year. Right. If he's missing kicks... I'm replace them. It's that simple. That's that's I'm pretty simple minded when it comes to special teams. When it comes to punting, it's not supposed to look this difficult. JK Scott, when you draft the guy and you know he comes from Alabama, he had a great college career. But let's face it, he has been average at best since he's been here in Green Bay. That position could very much be upgraded. Yeah. And it, it's enough for the I know at one point this year there were four uh, return touchdowns and all of football the Packers have given up two of them right, right. Yeah, that's that's not gonna work it's, it's puzzling as to why that is I don't know if guys are playing out of position just missing tackles whatever but I don't know it's like Groundhog's Day every single year special teams seems to be an issue I, I yep. can't say that that's gonna get that's gonna be what knocks them out of the playoffs marcus we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that coming up the the huddle okay. presented by Bud Light Seltzer it's coming up next stay tuned Rodgers sees it, floats it down the middle. It is caught. Valdez Scantling going to go all the way. Touchdown, Green Bay. 72 yards. You know, MBS. Well, I don't know if it would have been a classic Wayne Larrabee, there's your dagger situation. A little too early for even Wayno to make that call. Welcome back. Hour number two of the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. I'm Radio Joe Zanzola. 
Alongside on the panel tonight from 107.5 FM and 1400 AM, the fan up in Green Bay is one Marcus Ebersol. And also on the panel tonight from the Green Bay Press-Gazette and PackersNews.com, Eric Baranchek. We will get later on to our picks for the NFC and AFC wildcard games, so stay tuned for that. And uh, also discuss which matchup you don't want the Packers to deal with, or do you not fear anyone in the divisional round, regardless? of who the Packers face. That is coming up here in this second hour. But you heard that highlight there, courtesy of Fox Sports. Mark Marcos Valdez-Scanling, MVS. You know, look, awesome 72-yard touchdown there. Over the shoulder, beautiful throw from Rodgers, takes it to the house, shows off his speed, great. And then there was another one later on, which kind of changed the momentum after the fact in that game, but he easily drops a dime from Aaron Rodgers again and had his man beat. So this is the, this is, this is the question guys. And I will start with you, Eric MVS. Is this, is this just who he is? Like, it, it, are we just going to have to deal with the fact that there's going to be some big plays? He's going to haul that ball in and score or be able to move the chains downfield Or are we just going to have to get used to the fact that, yeah, he's going to make those big plays, but also he's going to drop some too. Where do you stand with MVS? Incomplete. That's where I stand. I think uh, when you look at some seasons in the past, you look at some guys like, uh, for instance, Devontae Adams, his sophomore year and his third year, you know, everybody was questioning his hands. There were some times where he, the ball hit him in the hands and he dropped it. Another guy that people I remember clearly uh, was uh, Jones, James Jones uh, dropping same kind of passes, hits him in the hands and is, you know, right in, you know, on the, as he's two yards past a, uh, a D back going in for, for, for a sure score. So I'll give him one more year before I answer that that question. But I I think uh, that's a good learn. These are all good learning experiences for him, and um, maybe next year he, he he kind of figures it out. Or if not, then you know I think those opportunities start to fade, start to go away. Marcus, where do you stand with MVS these days? I mean, have you accepted that this is who he is, or do you agree with Eric that you know what there's still a little bit more room for development here? I think my answer would be yes. To both. I, I think that as far as what Eric says, I wholeheartedly agree. It's too early to say cut bait or move on from Marquez Valdez Scantling. I mean, receivers develop, players develop regardless of position at different rates. There's not one time that's set in stone that all of a sudden the light bulb goes on at the very same time for every single player. Obviously, players develop at different rates, and it's too early to give up on Marquez Valdez Scantling. That said, right now, Yes, this is who he is. I mean, I think Sunday's game in Chicago was a microcosm of his season where, you know, one step forward, two steps back, or one step forward and one leap right back. I mean, the way this is shaping up, if the Packers go to the Super Bowl, I'm like 95% sure that MVS is going to be the Super Bowl MVP because that would be like the the most fitting season, the most fitting end possible to the season that he's had. He's, listen, if you are a six foot four wide receiver and you run four three in the 40, you've got a pretty long leash. The Packers would love nothing more than for him to be their number two receiver to Devontae Adams because the good Lord only made so many guys who have those size and speed measurables. But if you keep dropping the passes, 
and you play receiver, that's kind of your job to catch the football. It's got to be frustrating, but the team has still maintained confidence in him. Like I said, I can't wait to see what he does for the playoffs because you can make up for all of your wrongs with one. I mean, the ideal MBS stat line, I feel like, would be three catches for 120 yards and a couple touchdowns. I mean, he's hit or miss. He's a big play guy, and for now, that's that's just who he is. You know, there's a theme on tonight's show. We're we're trying to settle a lot of debates about what we've seen from the 2020 Green Bay Packers here as we go into the playoffs. And, you know, one of the most obvious talking point topics that, you know, we were doing on our show, Marcus, you were doing on your show, was about whether or not the Packers made a mistake when it came to the wide receiving core. I mean, yeah, Devin Funches, we all forget about that signing. We we totally forget about it, and he opted out because of COVID, and you can't blame him. That's just what it was. But the Packers didn't do anything in the draft. Now that we look ahead for what it's worth and looking at the receivers, the tight ends, Eric Baranchek, like we can, I think we can put that to bed. It's just impressive that all of these guys in a second year with LaFleur kind of know where their roles are. They kind of know where they need to be regardless of what the play is and what the play is getting called. It That has been a really special thing this year about this group. I mean, yes, Aaron Rodgers is certainly making them better as well, but these guys know where they need to be, and they've proved naysayers wrong about what maybe we thought of some of these guys before the season. Correct. And I think the other end of it, too, that, you know, a lot of people, you got to, you can't, you can't forget the the glaring issue here, right? You got the best quarterback in the league. Don't tell me, don't, I don't want you to tell me about Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to hear it because here's the deal: Patrick Mahomes can't do the things that Aaron Rodgers can do. In a couple of years, five, six, seven, eight years, Patrick Mahomes probably will be able to do that if he if he studies the game the way Aaron Rodgers does. Right now, Patrick Mahomes is more of a physical quarterback that can get things done, but Here's the reality, Joe. We could be the wide receivers for the Packers with Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. And that's the bottom line. That's the truth. Aaron Rodgers gets guys open with his eyes. Aaron Rodgers puts the ball in spots that only the receivers can catch. So whether you can run a 4-5 or a 4-9, it doesn't matter. When the ball is in your hands, you got to get your hands up. You know, So I, I, I think the Packers came into this season knowing what they kind of what they had. And knowing that, hey, we have the, the best quarterback in the league. He's playing phenomenal. We we don't need to add anymore. And that, that's how I feel. And and I and I feel like you know some people want to throw out the the Jordan Love draft, but here's the other reality about that: if Aaron Rodgers goes out next year, the first game of the season, and breaks his collarbone, what is everyone going to say? Season's gone, right? Well, you got to have another quarterback waiting. And Boyle might be the guy for a little while, but you got to have someone. You got to draft to strength. And if your your strength is at quarterback, and you're putting so much, you're relying so much on that quarterback, and he goes down, you got to have another guy that's dynamic that can get out there and do it. So I don't have a problem with the with the pick. I don't think it's a pick to get to get Rodgers out of there. I think what they did with with Jordan Love was, you know, we got a plan for the future. What happens if twelve goes down? So they, I think they did the right thing. And, and quite honestly, this you might be – there's a lot of free agents that are – wide receivers that are going to be available this year and with the uh, probably a lot more uh, than what are scheduled for their contracts to be up because of the COVID uh, depression of the cap. So 
maybe they're going to make us all look stupid and, and, and get the receivers next year. I'm not sure, but I do know this, that, you know, when you have a quarterback that's that dynamic with, with what he does, it doesn't matter who they're throwing to. Well, and then th- that leads to another thing that we need to settle, Marcus. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he, he is the 2020 MVP, right? Yes. Yes, he is. I, I mean, I've been hesitant to go there up until this past month. I thought the way Mahomes was playing, essentially the first few months of the season, I think Mahomes was doing in Kansas City what Rodgers had been doing in Green Bay. They're both playing so well. They're, they continue this trajectory Mahomes is a future first ballot Hall of Famer if he keeps this up. Rodgers is already that. We're, we're splitting hairs, I think, for the few, first few months of the season. But with the month of December that Rodgers had, since December began, Rodgers threw 15 touchdowns to one pick. Mahomes threw eight touchdowns to four picks. And that enough was enough to make it – I don't know if it's going to be unanimous. Like last year, Lamar Jackson, everybody could see the writing on the wall. I'm not sure if it'll be unanimous, but at this point – I would be thoroughly shocked if Aaron Rodgers does not win his third MVP. He deserves it. Yeah, I I totally agree. I've been on that train now for a while. I just this is just it's it really it's been incredible what we've seen out of Aaron this year in a second year under Matt Lafleur and to be on the same page. We we've been questioning for the last couple of years whether or not this was going to work between Rodgers and Lafleur, and this is th- this has gone beyond our wildest dreams, guys. I mean, it, it's I just. I, like during the offseason for me, I did not want to count Aaron Rodgers out. You can't count number 12 out. I don't care how old he's getting. It, there's just something about that dude. Like the the brain is not the brain is not dying. The brain is just as strong as ever. It's the rest of his body and how that's going to fare, but I I have just been really blown away by what Aaron has been able to accomplish this year and there's just no doubt in my mind that He's gonna he's gonna win this this year, and he and he's earned it. It's this is talk about a special season to remember. It's certainly yeah. that. Now the question is whether or not Aaron Rodgers can get this team to the Super Bowl. I'll say this, Eric Branchek, like you talk about a guy that wants it so bad this year. You've got the home field advantage now. You have the opportunity to win these next two at Lambeau Field. And now you're there in Tampa, and that opportunity is there 10 years after the fact. There, there's no one that's driven more than Aaron Rodgers. Oh, without a doubt. And, I, and I'm probably one of his harshest critics over the years because there was, you know, last year and the year before, there was some definite deficits in his game. Um, but to his credit, he went back and fixed it. He fixed his sloppy footwork. And he became more of a system quarterback where you listen, we're not asking you to run around in circles and hold the ball and throw the ball 40 yards downfield. What we're asking you to do is be hand the ball off, be sharp and efficient. And then you throw in all of the, the intangibles that he has. He's got the, he's got the, the ability to throw the ball at any different angle. And what's more impressive that most than most common fan misses. Let's go back to the Titans game. That, that touchdown pass to some unknown receiver, um, St. Brown that nobody knows of who's this guy we don't have any receivers we've got to draft more guys it doesn't matter because when the quarterback can take that entire secondary and shift it to the left with his eyes and knowing that he's going back to the right and just turn and flick it and, and the guy catches the ball for a touchdown that's the intangible part that Mahomes is missing and most other quarterbacks the game 
doesn't slow down enough for them to be able to do that. And that, you know, he's been doing this for as many years as he has, but, but what I really like is the technician in him and seeing him being able to look guys off. And the telltale sign is when Adams is gone last year and this year when Adams was injured, those, he, those, he didn't, it didn't, it didn't like ruin his game. He couldn't, he didn't all of a sudden his passer rating go down to 50 because he didn't have anyone to throw to. He just threw to everybody else. Right. Well, so, and on, and, well, and on awesome. top of that too, it actually allowed Rogers to play more within the system. He can't be fully reliant on Devonte all the time. Anytime there's some trouble, he had to play more within the system. And I think that was almost a good thing in hindsight. Right. And I think the other things that happens too, is if the offensive line can keep him free and clear in the beginning of the game, um, you see him really – that's when he really excels. When he starts getting – when they start getting pressure on him early in the game, guess who he looks to throw the ball to? Devontae. Yeah. So so the key for the Packers' offense is to keep that shirt clean early in the game. Well, and then and, he stops pressing and starts throwing the ball where he needs to go. Well, and, and that's the thing. We'll talk about this on the other side of the break, too, with this offensive line. Like, I, when I saw that news last week with David Bakhtiari, I was just – my soul was crushed just crushed. I wanted to cry. Like I was just, I was like, are you kidding me? We just can't have nice things, but this offensive line just continues to get it done. And I was pretty impressed with how they fared against the bears. So we will talk about that on the other side. That's Eric Branchek of the green Bay press Gazette. And from the fan one Oh seven, five FM and 1400 AM WDUZ is Marcus Eversall. I'm radio Joe. We will have more of the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good coming up next. First and goal over the middle caught for the touchdown by Adams. And the first round by is in reach. It says a lot about our team, man. I mean, it just shows the resilience that we have. I mean, it's not easy to go out against. It's a good team. Doesn't matter what, how many games they lost in a row or, or whatever it was. Um, you know, when they hit a tough spot in the season. But you look around, they got a, they got really good personnel. They got a, um, a quarterback who doesn't get a whole lot of respect, but he he can he can create and he can do a lot of different things. You know that that make it tough to go against, especially when. Number 17, Devontae Adams there. Highlight courtesy of Fox. Welcome back. It's the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. I'm Radio Joe hosting tonight alongside Marcus Eversall from the Fan in Green Bay and also from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, PackersNews.com, Eric Baranchek, Sam Schmitz, other side of the glass tonight producing the show, as always. So we have breaking news, and this is official breaking news from the team themselves, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, we had talked about this a little bit earlier because there was a report. Kyle Cousineau, who is very connected with a lot of people at Lambeau Field, he had reported that the Packers were going to have more fans in the stands for the divisional game coming up next weekend. So the Green Bay Packers just put out a statement. This is what they're going to do. Approximately 6,000 tickets will be available for purchase by season ticket holders who opted in. Seats will be arranged in socially distanced pods of two, four, and six tickets 
throughout the stadium. Prices set by the NFL for playoff games will range from $127 to $177. And based on the location, a service fee from Ticketmaster will also be charged. And then there's also an additional number of guests will be in attendance, which includes invited frontline healthcare workers and first responders, which is always awesome, as well as a league-mandated allotment for the visiting team. So again, this really goes identical to the report we saw from Kyle Cousineau earlier that this is all going to happen, and there will roughly total be around 8,000 fans, give or take. Um, Let's talk about that first, and then we'll we'll talk about the offensive line as well because we teased it. But uh, thoughts, first of all, from you, Marcus Eversall, with the fact that we're going to have more fans in the stands for this game at Lambeau Field, the question is, how much of a difference does it really make? And the other question is, yeah, home field advantage is very important here for the Packers, but when you don't have 70,000 fans at Lambeau Field, that too has to play a part in it. So where, how do you feel through all of this here and um, your feeling about home field advantage? Well, above all, I think it's just awesome that, some fans are going to be able to be in attendance. I mean, this has been such a fun season as as rough as 2020 was in every walk of life. And we're still going through it now, carrying into 2021. The Packers have been, I don't want to overstate it, but kind of the saving grace for sports fans. I mean, honestly, think if, if they were having a rough season right now, what would, what would sports fans have to look forward to every single week? And they go through the season 13 and three, again, they get home field advantage. And yet, no fans have been able to enjoy it in the stadium. I, I commend the Packers. I think they've handled this extremely well, proceeding with caution, consulting with health and safety experts who know far better than any of us do or the average person does. I think they've handled it very well. But it is just so cool. It's awesome that they've gotten to a point now where they're comfortable with having, whether it's whatever it is, 6,000, 8,000 fans total, it's better than none. It's better than 250 or however many they've had there. Great for the first responders. Now, in terms of the on-field impact, I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows how – does it need to be a packed house to have the home field advantage? I still think that the best aspect, the biggest advantage they have playing at home is going to be the weather. And I just go back to the Titans game, for example, where in the first half of that game, it looked like Devontae Adams was playing a different sport as than the Titans defensive backs like they were on skates and he was he had his cleats on so I think that's the bigger on-field impact is the weather and just staying at home and staying in your routine more so than a limited number of fans but that said I feel so good for the fans who will be able to attend what a cool memory that's going to be playoff football at Lambeau Field after everything we've gone through yeah no question it's just it's a good sign and a good start for our year we need all the good news we can get these days um Eric your feelings on this I mean look it's hard for me to sit here and ask you well is 8,000 fans really going to make a difference the fact of the matter is we've never seen just 8,000 fans in Lambeau Field it's packed every single week so I don't know how much of a dent it's really going to make I agree with Marcus, though, 100%, that if anything, what can really benefit the Green Bay Packers is the weather. Mother Nature could have a say and really help them out in these you know, next couple of games, potentially. Um, yes. I, I think having fans there, whether it's 6,000, 5,000, 2,000, makes a difference. And that is, that is really, um, I think it's really important that they're going to do that. 
the other part about having home field advantage is having some um, um, home cooking, which always is a good thing. Uh, so I just, you know, the, the home field advantage, I don't care. You know, I know this whole COVID thing has changed things a lot, but I, I really feel like it, uh, it, it at this time of the year, especially in Green Bay, come on. Um, you know, that being up here and having home cooking out in the cold, this is a good deal for them. This is really good. Yep, absolutely. Unfortunately, uh, no tailgating, which isn't much of a surprise. Uh, but still, this is something. It's rather than nothing. It's rather than having a completely empty stadium for a playoff game. So, again, the Packers, I, I know certainly they are going to do their due diligence with keeping everyone safe in this. And this is a step in the right direction. So that is really cool. Again, if you're just joining us, the Green Bay Packers are going to open up 6,000 tickets for sale, but this will be for season ticket holders only who opted in at the beginning of the year. So finally, after all that time waiting, they will have a chance at purchasing these tickets. And also there will be first responders and healthcare workers who will get to go to this game as well. So again, we're kind of looking at 8,000 tickets. Now let's talk about the offensive line. It has been one of the most, um, I, I guess, no, no, I don't think we talk about it enough. The depth this year, this is probably the deepest offensive line that I can remember in a long time, guys. Like, I just, I don't remember a line that was this deep where you could go next man up, next man up, next man up, fill this hole, fill this hole, fill this hole. You also have a guy who can, like, play every position when needed in Elton Jenkins. Marcus, I'll start with you at the offensive line. How impressed have you been, and do you think that this line can hold together without David Bakhtiari? I think they can because they have. Now, what will be really telling is if they get into a situation where, I mean, this offense can move the ball against anybody. They've been arguably the best offense in football all season long. Maybe that's not even arguable. But if they get into a situation where it's not, where they're not able to be as balanced as they otherwise would want to be. Meaning if they get down 10, 14 points and go into scramble mode or pass first mode, then will the line be able to hold up when opposing pass rushers are pinning their ears back when in obvious passing situations, that will be an interesting, if not concerning bridge to cross when we get there, but whether it's been Bakhtiari out early in the season or Corey Lindsley missing some time, the fact of the matter is it has not mattered in the respect of keeping Rodgers upright with the exception of maybe two games, Tampa and Carolina. It's been incredible to watch. You singled out Elton Jenkins. I mean, there's a reason you don't see guys like him very often where they're able to play left guard, start at right tackle, kick into center, play left tackle in a pinch during a game because most guys just can't do it. I mean, his versatility goes beyond – him being able to play other positions, he's able to play those other positions at a really high level. I mean, he's absolutely incredible. And I, I think we need to focus more on offensive line coach, Adam Stenovich. A lot of people were upset when James Campen left because he was a fan favorite, former player, and then did a great job with the Packers offensive line as their position coach for so long. And when he left, when the Packers did not retain him after the coaching regime change, a lot of people were upset and they questioned that move. Well, Question that move no longer because Adam Stenovich has done one heck of a job with this offensive line. Yeah, I, that is a great point because I remember I was one of those people. I was like, really, they're not going to bring James Campen back? It's like, yeah. I mean, don't you want a little continuity there? You've, I mean, you've got a decent offensive line as it is. Like, that would help. 
that that's a really I didn't even think about that. That's a really good point, Marcus. Eric, what say you? Um, do you agree fully that this offensive line will be fine without David Bakhtiari? Yes, I I, I totally agree that. Um, are they going to be Are they going to be fine? Yeah, I mean, would it be great to have Bakhtiari? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there, there's <laughs> definitely um, some uh, some things that uh, it takes out of their playbook by having by not having Bakhtiari. That's there's no question about that. But like Marcus said, I mean, hey, he's right. That offensive line coach, hats off. That guy's, you know, because there were some questions. As a young guy, no experience. You're bringing him in here to Green Bay. Hats off because that guy's done a great job at not only developing the talent, but but working with the guys to to be able to to mix and match and go out there and the flexibility of moving guys from one spot to the next and not having any major meltdowns. Hey, that that job that he's done is fantastic. Learn the name, Adam Stenovich. On the Keep other, it down. Keep it down. We don't want anyone else to know that guy's name. Well, <laughs> you want him here in Green Bay, Packer well, fans, right? Speaking of which, on the other side, we're going to get to our picks coming up here for the uh, NFC and AFC wildcard games. But there is a coach who's already had one interview with an NFL team, and it doesn't surprise me. Like, this is going to happen when your offense has success. We'll talk about Nathaniel Hackett coming up on the other side. Eric Branchek of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. And from the fan, WDUZ, up in Green Bay is Marcus Eversall. I'm Radio Joe, and this is The Huddle, served up by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. We will have more coming up next. He is a he was a safety he was a football player and who played safety but could play free safety could play up near the in the box uh, good tackler yet good ball skills good speed he he was everything you wanted there and fortunately I inherited him I came in and he was there so that helped me a lot too If that voice doesn't ring a bell, I'll tell you who that was that was the great Mike Holmgren talking about Leroy Butler who is a finalist again for the second straight year in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mike Holmgren on the big show on our flagship station, 1250 AM, The Fan. Welcome back. It is the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. I'm Radio Joe Zenzola alongside on the panel, Marcus Eversall from 107.5 FM and 1400 AM, The Fan up in Green Bay, and also from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, PackersNews.com, Eric Branchek. We will talk about Nathaniel Hackett here. We'll get to the picks, but we have to talk about Leroy for just a second, just one little second. I don't know when Leroy is going to get in, but guys, we can all agree that Leroy Butler deserves to be in 100%. Um, Marcus, like for me, if there's anything that's going to make me angry when it comes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, like if Leroy doesn't get in, I will be very angry if John Lynch gets in ahead of him. Like we all know Leroy was the better safety and that's that is the one thing. If there's anything that's going to get me mad, it's just that. How do you feel about the whole situation? Uh, I actually was going to bring up the same thing. I feel like the public perception for whatever reason, you know, outside of Packer Nation between John Lynch and Leroy Butler is completely different that people think John Lynch is so much better than Leroy Butler ever was for whatever reason. I don't know, longevity, but even that I, the numbers for Leroy Butler should just forget the numbers. They should flat out spell out hall of famer. I mean, when you factor in sacks and what Mike Holmgren talked about on the cut, you played coming in 
he did so much more than what a traditional safety does. He was ahead of the game as far as the safety position goes. I know the inventing the Lambo leap doesn't get you into the Hall of Fame, but it's it's going to make for a pretty cool little anecdote when he is finally enshrined in the Hall. It, it seems like a matter of time, but what's unfortunate is when you make these guys wait so long, like don't delay the inevitable, put the guy in the hall of fame right where he belongs. Yep. I I totally, totally agree. And Eric, I mean, how do you feel about Leroy's chances? I mean, at some point he has to get in and no question about it. He really revolutionized that position that he played. Well, when you look at how, dynamic he was he wasn't just an interceptor guy or chuck cecil chuck cecil break your back kind of guy uh he was a sack sack the quarterback he was filled and run uh, um covered the pass i mean he had how many interceptions he had i know he, there he's up there in the number of, uh, of interceptions i believe he's you know when you look at safeties he's statistically wise he's near the top of the pile and i'm not sure why uh, he hasn't gotten in if it's, you know, who knows. But uh, reality is, is that he belongs in that in that building and he should have a bust up there soon. And if it is, if it doesn't happen soon, it's a dirty shame because he really needs to be there. Yeah, no question about it. And I know one guy that will be a first ballot Hall of Famer this year in this class is Charles Woodson. I mean, again, another just unbelievable player. And really, this whole this whole this whole class that's coming in, these finalists, the 15, it is one incredible list. But we are pushing for Leroy here on this show and on the network. And you know, Leroy's a friend of mine. And you know, it's it really he's gonna get it at some point. I don't think it's gonna be like Jerry Kramer where we're gonna have to wait another couple of decades or more. Uh, before that happens, but really, we're we're wishing Leroy all the best as we find out here. Really, in the next month or so. All right, another topic that we want to talk about before we get to the picks. Uh, earlier today, it was reported that Nathaniel Hackett did a virtual meeting with the Atlanta Falcons for the head coaching vacancy. Hackett, of course, a lot of success this year as the offense has been one of the top scoring offenses in the National Football League. Um, Eric, I will go back to you on this first. Um, how much of a concern would it be if they lose Nathaniel Hackett to another team? I mean, we we always talk about the success that Matt LaFleur has had, but sometimes we forget about the success that Nathaniel Hackett has brought to this offense. So how do you look at it? I I really don't know. I'm not, you know, this year was probably the year we got the least amount of uh, opportunity to speak to coaches and players. Right. And, you know, it's it's really difficult uh, to to know what really happens in in the offensive side and what's going on in those meeting rooms. Um, but by all by by everything you do hear about them from the players is they really like them and they really enjoy um, what they do. And I think it is important for the the quarterback to have that type of a relationship there that's strong. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not really sure, I, but I. I do know this is that it, it, you know, you have two 13 or 13 and three seasons back to back. There's going to be guys departing and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just life in the NFL. Yep. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, How do you look at the situation, Marcus? You know, I mean, one guy that has really come to love Nathaniel Hackett is Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers has raved about this dude this season. Um, Do you think it would be a concern if they lost Nathaniel Hackett to another team? I think it'd be a concern, but kind of like Eric said, this is par for the course, and you've you said that as well. It's not surprising. In fact, if, if there's anything surprising about it, 
I'm a little surprised it has taken this long. Now I know the season only ended on Sunday, but right. how many head coaching candidates have gotten interviews before Nathaniel Hackett? I mean, what more do you want to see? I like it's you never know how a head coach will perform as a head coach until he is a head coach, right? You just judge it based on essentially their Wikipedia page, their resume, where have they been? What have they done? But by that logic, I would think that Nathaniel Hackett's resume would stand out. I mean, you look at what the Packers have accomplished and people seem to be so quick to just give all the credit to Aaron Rodgers. If things are bad, all the blame goes to the quarterback. If things are going well, it's like, well, yeah, but Matt LaFleur doesn't deserve coach of the year consideration because he's got Aaron Rodgers. How hard can it be? And Nathaniel Hackett, nah, we're good. We'll, we'd rather interview Jason Garrett before Nathaniel Hackett. Like we do realize that before this coaching staff got to green Bay, the Packers were 13, 18 and one in the previous two seasons. And they're 26 and six since the staff arrived. We realized that in 2018 and 2019 combined, Aaron Rodgers threw 51 touchdowns total. He threw 48 this year in his second year of the system. And it's not like they went out and just put a bunch of new weapons and new toys around him. The only thing that changed is the coaching staff and getting more comfortable with the scheme. At some point, you got to start giving credit. There's plenty of credit to go around. It can't all go to Rodgers. He's going to win his third MVP, and he should. He's phenomenal. But there are a lot of other people that play a role in what Rodgers has done this season, and Nathaniel Hackett is one of them. So good on the Falcons. I think that's a smart interview for them. Well, I'll say this. I don't know what took so long for anyone to think about think about this, but the fact that they're going to do a gold member reference next week at Lambeau Field, you know, for those that don't know, Austin Powers, gold member, I love gold. I, I didn't have the drop ready, but – like I, that is going to be really cool because Rogers hinted at that Marcus that they were going to do something yeah. special with it, and they might even bring Mike Myers in for it, which would be really neat. Yeah, I mean, this is my kind of content. Who knew twenty twenty <laughs> such a crazy year? But I feel like Packer fans are probably responsible for about ninety five percent of the streams of Gold Member in the past six months or so and it's all thanks to nathaniel hackett that guy is a big ball of energy and he loves austin powers and clearly he loves gold well who doesn't love austin powers it is a it is a fine fine trilogy that's marcus eversall of the fan up in green bay eric branchek of the green bay press gazette alongside as well on radio joe we will wrap up the huddle Served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. We're going to make our picks coming up on the other side for the AFC and NFC wildcard games. The, uh, what what is it, the Super Week or whatever? Like, it's two more games. Is it really that super? We'll talk about that coming up next. At the end of that year, you can hold the Lombardi Trophy. Like, that's what it's all about. You know, when, when people talk about NFL being a, the ultimate team game, that's what solidifies you being a great team is being able to hold the Lombardi uh, trophy. So to, to stand there on that field down in Dallas and to be a, a champion of Super Bowl 45 with the Green Bay Packers, that is the ultimate for me. Boy, what an honor to have that guy on your team, Charles Woodson, who's going to be a first ballot Pro Football Hall of Famer, no question about it, talking about his experience there. And again, 10 years later, it's hard to believe we are a decade, a decade from Super Bowl 45. It's just crazy to me. 
It is the huddle served up by Bud Light Seltzer. Unquestionably good. Only, what, we got four minutes left. The show has flown by. I'm Radio Joe alongside Marcus Eversall, Eric Baranchek. All right, so let's make the picks here. This is going to be kind of a rapid-fire deal here. So we will start with the Saturday games. And this is a very intriguing matchup. You've got the Indianapolis Colts traveling up to Buffalo. Buffalo, to me, I think, could win it all. Like I, To me, they're that good. Um, I am going to pick Buffalo in this game, but I think the Colts are going to put up a fight. Marcus, where do you go with this one? Pretty much the same thing. I'm going to go with Buffalo, and I think they could make a big run for sure. Eric, how about you? Uh, Buffalo. All right, so we got a clean sweep there. Let's go to the next Saturday match matchup over in the NFC. It is the Rams heading back up north to Seattle. They were just there. Um, we really don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be at last check, um, if it's going to be John Wolford or Jared Goff. Um, I Right now, I'm going to take the Seahawks, but that Rams defense is so darn good. So I will say the Seahawks will probably win this one by three. Every NFC West, yeah, every NFC West game ever has been close, I swear. But I'm gonna go with Seattle. Their defense is starting to play better too. Just more of a sure thing. So give me the Seahawks. How about you, Eric? Yeah, there's just too much ambiguity of what's going on, and they're gonna have uh, at the quarterback position there for the Rams. It's too bad because they got a good defense and they probably had a good opportunity. But uh, yeah, that's Seattle all the way. Tampa Bay will get to go up against a craptastic NFC East team being the Washington football team. But, hey, they've got a pretty good defense. Chase Young has had an incredible year. I still think Tampa Bay is going to win. Marcus, do you sense an upset, or should Tom Brady have a good game in this one? Part of me thinks I might be sensing an upset. I do buy their D-line, giving Brady some problems, but – that's the one thing on paper you like about Washington. There's a lot more things to like about Tampa. I can't pick Washington to win, so give me the Bucks, Eric. I I'm going to go out on a limb here on this one. I think I think Washington. They got a good defense. Um, I think that you know if you can get Brady on the ground, that's going to cause some some serious problems up there. <clears throat> I'm going to pick Washington. Okay, we got upset special there from Eric Baranchek. Let's go over to the Sunday game, starting with another great contest between Lamar Jackson and Ryan Tannehill. Ravens and Titans. I am going. Oh man, this is really tough. This is. I mean, this has shootout written all over it. I think. Give me the Ravens in this one. What do you think, Marcus? I think the Ravens, and I think, yeah, I think they're going to go right through that Titans defense. That's the glaring weakness in this game. Both offenses are good. Titans defense can't stop a nosebleed. Give me the Ravens. Eric? I'm having a hard time picking against the Titans in this one, but I have to agree that the uh, that defense is going to be their bugaboo, which is surprising because you think with Vrabel as their head coach, you think their defense would be just a stud defense. But, yeah, I, I'm going with the Ravens. We've got about 90 seconds here. So now the next one, Bears and Saints. Sorry, I'm not going to go with the upset here. The Bears suck. They're lucky they're even in. I'm going with the Saints. Marcus? Saints in a blowout. Enough said. Eric? Saints, no problem. All right. And then the last one, and this is the unfortunate one, the Cleveland Browns finally get into the playoffs. And then Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, gets COVID. Their longtime offensive lineman also gets COVID, who's been through all the crap teams. Unfortunately, I got to go with the Steelers in this one. What do you think, Marcus? Steelers in a blowout. I think this is going to be a romp. I just have a feeling. I know they haven't been playing well, but I think the Steelers roll in this one. How about you, Eric? 
I think it's going to be a high-scoring game for, you know, considering Steelers and the Browns. You know, both teams will be in the 20s. Uh, but I, I think uh, I think it's going to be Steelers as well. And the Steelers had also announced that no fans at Heinz Field for this coming game coming up on Sunday night. All right, Marcus, Eric, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Marcus, I know it's your first time on the panel. We will have you back. And Eric, it was your second. You will be back as well down the road. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Awesome. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Eric Baranchek of the Green Bay Press-Gazette, PackersNews.com. Check out all of his work there. And Marcus Eversall, you can check him out right after our show at 2 o'clock on The Fan up in Green Bay, 107, 5 FM and 1400 AM up there. That is Marcus Eversall. I'm Radio Joe. Thanks to Sam Schmitz on the other side of the glass. And we will talk to you again soon. See ya. 16 stations strong. The Bill Michaels Sports Talk Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.